Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It really encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. If you will be, open your Bibles to John, the 20th chapter. We'll spend probably about the first 10 minutes tonight in reviewing where we were last week because we just kind of stopped right in the middle of a lesson, really, as we were just really getting going last week. And so, uh, and we'll try to finish that up this week on the wonderful and marvelous topic of Jesus Christ, the Creator. Uh, as we think about that, we are thankful to have our young people back, our high schoolers that were away uh, this past weekend. We're thankful that you invested your time in such a weekend as EU, and we're thankful for what you've learned and what you mean to us on a daily basis here in the life of this congregation. We also have a lot of younger ones that they came early this afternoon for young ladies and young soldiers serving Christ. We want you to know that we really appreciate you investing that time in, in training uh, to better be equipped to serve the Lord. You're never too young to set your heart on serving the Lord. We also have several high school students that on Sunday morning for several weeks now, they are being taught how to teach. We call it high step. They're being taught how to teach and in a few weeks they'll go into some of our classrooms and some of you uh, will have them as guest teachers in your classrooms and we're so thankful uh, for uh, Mike Dominski and, and the work that he's doing with that and for our young people that are willing to do that and for our teachers that's willing to work uh, with them in this. It's really exciting to see an investment, uh, not just in the Lord's church for down the road, but an investment in it for right now. The difference that's being made in the Lord's church right now as we seek to just grow and, and be what God wants us to be. We each can do our part. With that in mind, we think about the great news that was mentioned this morning uh, in Brazil that there were two added to the Lord. And you see a picture uh, that was taken of Nick baptizing them this morning. And uh, we are thankful for that. I am not going to try to pronounce their names because I would just butcher it. It's a husband and wife, but the Lord knows their name. And even more importantly, he wrote their name in the Lamb's Book of life. And so that's pretty awesome to think about. And uh, this is a couple that Nick uh, and Amy had been studying with, encouraging. They had been coming to classes and I think even worship services for over two years. And so it's really amazing to see the, the, uh, the soil of the heart being tilled, the word, the seed being planted, and now to see the increase. And so we rejoice uh, with them in that. Also, it's just a mistake. I meant to have the agape slide in this presentation and thought I did and realized I didn't uh, when, when I came in here. Uh, but do remember the agape dinner Thursday evening. Uh, some have asked our children welcome to this and, and that's a very good question and the, the answer to that is children are encouraged to be at this. We want it to be an event if, if you're young or old and you have interest in coming and supporting uh, Agape with your presence and, uh, and beyond that please know that, that we want you to be there and we appreciate John Stallworth and his leadership of this and do keep in mind that next Sunday morning there will be a collection for the First John Fund and what a blessing it is to be able to help each other and so we just want to give you that final reminder uh, before next Sunday. The theme this year of, of Marvel, to be able to think about that, that there are some things that are just set apart and, and they're just different from everything else. And, and that's really, that, that's the way God operates because he's not human. And so when God does something, it is a marvel to us because it's things that we can't do. He does them and, and they're set apart. And, and it's really amazing when we truly see God for who he is, how it changes us. It changes our faith. It changes our approach to God because God now is, is not just a buddy next door. God is not just another human friend. He's God. 
and we marvel. We stand in awe of him when we truly understand who God is. And out of all the ways God would introduce himself, in the beginning of the Bible, he introduces himself as our creator. 35 times in 34 verses in Genesis 1, the teaching is God is the creator. His name is used that many times, more times than there are verses in the first chapter of the Bible. God is the creator. Who is this God? Think about this. In the beginning, God. We're introduced to God in the fourth word of the Bible, Elohim. It is a, a plural noun for God. God's points to the Trinity immediately in Scripture. And what's the fifth word? You know it. In the beginning, God created that's how God is introduced to us. You remember we mentioned last time in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter in verse four, we have a, a, a more specific name that is given, a more personal name that's given. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh. The Hebrew people would say, that's our God. Yahweh is our God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim. That's the plural. The Lord is one. And as we mentioned last week, there's, there's just not a lot said in Scripture that says, hey, let me just pause for a paragraph here, for a chapter here, and let me teach you a great detail about the Trinity of the Godhead. The truth is there's not any particular passage that does that. It's just passage after passage makes reference to either God the Father or God the Son or God the Spirit. And we know that when we study through the Scriptures that the Trinity exists, even though the word Trinity itself is not in Scripture. And perhaps the best place to see it is the baptism of Jesus Christ. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, we read in Matthew the third chapter and verse 16 about Jesus walking into the waters and being baptized. But then when we read on the rest of verse 16, we see that the Spirit of God came down manifesting Himself this time in the form of a dove. And then in verse 17, we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. It's one of those scenes where I, I can't say that that the reason God recorded it that way is he wanted us to understand Trinity. But we also would be very foolish to say that that's not why it's recorded that way. Sure, that's one of the, the many occasions where God is simply showing himself. Who are you, God? It's monotheism. We believe in one God. He teaches himself to be one God. We just read that in Deuteronomy. But yet then when we read occasions like this, we see that there's God the Father, we see that there's God the Son, and we see there's God the Spirit. Now get this. All in one scene. You see, that, that hinders us in, in making physical illustrations of this. Oftentimes, because we typically understand things better when they're illustrated, we try to make illustrations. And I'm not saying it's wrong to make the illustrations. But we'll make illustrations and, and we'll say, well, it's one God, but it's a trinity of the Godhead, and it is like. And I mentioned to you last week that, that we had this, this uh, car enthusiast out in, in Britain, uh, Paul Bailey. And, and many people, the, the three rare brand new sports cars that, that he bought last year, one a McLaren and one uh, a, a Ferrari and one a Porsche. Many people say that he, ha he now has the trinity of sports cars. Well, here, here's this sports car. You say, wow, that's a great sports car. Here's this sport. That's a great sports car. Here's this. Wow, let's bring all these three together. That's not the trinity of the Godhead. Wow, here's this great God over here. Well, look, here's this great God. Well, look, there's another great God. Let's bring them all together. They're one. They've always been one. 
And so we looked last week a little bit at this illustration here. That's an old illustration. You'll see it given in different forms. And notice each tip of the triangle is one of the personalities of the Godhead. We have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then read the outer lines there. Each one is not the other. In other words, the Father is not the Son. Some people, some faiths, actually believe that there's only one being and he just manifests himself at various times in various ways. Sometimes he stays in heaven and calls himself God. Sometimes he comes to earth and he calls himself Jesus. Sometimes he appears in spirit and calls himself the Holy Spirit. But the problem is in the baptism of Jesus, all three were present at one time. Now, somewhat time we try to illustrate and we say, well, it's, it's like H2O. Sometimes it can be a solid, sometimes it can be a gas, and sometimes it can, it can be a liquid. Sometimes we illustrate it like an egg. It's three parts, the yellow and, and, and the white and, and the shell. There's a lot of illustrations that are good efforts, but you will never find an illustration that will illustrate the Godhead because God is not physical. And everything that we use to illustrate is physical. God's a spirit. Everything we use to illustrate lives within the realm of time. God lives in eternity. Everything we use to illustrate it, now you ready? This one's really, this really drives it home. Everything we use to illustrate it is bound by the limitation of our mind and our understanding and God goes far beyond mine and your understanding. Let me tell you something. If you could serve a God that David Shannon could understand everything about him, you wouldn't want that God. He would be small, pretty weak, and pretty narrow in his intellect and knowledge. The God we serve is so much greater than us, so much greater in knowledge and in power living outside of the realm of time and even lives outside of being present only at one place. Because of all of that, we realize that the God we serve is almighty God. And it leaves us in awe of him when we understand it. You know the goal this year. The goal this year is that all of us get to know God better, get to know him for who he truly is, not the way we've always perceived him, but get to know him for true, who he truly is. And so we think about especially in this lesson, Jesus Christ. And I mentioned to you last week, and we're going to try to pop through a few of these to get to the other and then end on time tonight. In John, the 20th chapter, John gives us the reason why he wrote the gospel of John. Remember the gospel of John is about the life of John. He gets towards the end. He says, do you see what I've just done? Let me tell you why I wrote what I wrote. Jesus did many other signs, but in 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John, why did you write this? I want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? Because I want you to have life in his name. We're going to end there tonight. Not in that verse, but in another verse that talks about Jesus being the life. And so, what's the purpose of this writing? Do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe who the gospel says Jesus is? Let's read this gospel, okay? How's this gospel going to begin? Well, is it coincidental or is it on purpose that it begins with the same three words that the Bible begins? In the beginning. You see, when we read this passage, we know this. If you read on, you know that this is about Jesus Christ and you know it's going to talk about Jesus Christ being the creator. And with that in mind, you then have to summarize it's not coincidental. It, if 
Jesus being the creator, that it begins the same way that Genesis 1 begins. Listen, everything in the Bible points back to the powerful God of Genesis 1 speaking things into existence. Now, that even brings greater insight. So now it's not only about Jesus, but it's about Jesus being the creator, and then it goes back to the word speaking, where he spoke things into existence. And so we mentioned this, as we look at this next slide, John 1 and 1 still again, it says, in the beginning was the word. I'm sorry, can we go back one slide just for a minute? Uh, Notice it was in the beginning was. Notice that, that, that past tense there, that, that word was. In other words, Jesus was not created in the beginning. Jesus already existed in the beginning. So if we're going to understand Jesus, we have to understand that he is eternal. There are two religious groups that go around very frequently knocking on doors in our area. And, and, and sometimes there might be some things that you say, you know, there's some things that we really are very similar about. Well, the problem that we're not very similar at all is that both of those groups believe that Jesus Christ was created by God. One particular group, literally, after, after creating their religion out of the King James translation, couldn't back up their religion that they created out of the King James translation, so they rewrote the Bible so that John 1 would say what they wanted to say. And so now it says that Jesus was created in the beginning. I, I surely don't have to tell you that's a huge fundamental difference. That is a different God than the God we serve. The God we serve was not created. The God we serve is the creator. Now when we go to the next slide, notice this very same verse in the beginning was the word. Here Jesus is introduced to us, logos, there's the word, and it, it's the idea of the word for the word. Well, what's the emphasis in that? We've already pointed out the fact that on this next slide we see that God said and spoke things into creation, Genesis 1, and all those verses listed. And Psalm 33 and 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them, how? By the breath of his mouth. Where did all this come from? God didn't take things and, and say, let me work with this. God spoke, and out of nothing, except by the power of his word, all was created. Now, that ought to boggle our mind. That ought to leave us saying, I don't see how you can do that. That's why we marvel at the marvelous works of God. Psalm 148 and verse five, let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse three, the great hall of faith. Look the way that chapter begins in verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so when we go back to John one and we see that Jesus is called the word, it really brings great insight to the power of Jesus. He was the word of God incarnated upon this earth. Look how it said in John 1 and 14. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh, that's incarnation, and dwelt among us. Remember back up in verse 1, he, when, before he came to heaven, uh, before he came to earth, he dwelt with the Father. When he took on flesh, he dwells with us. And then John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, remember John 1 and 1 ends by saying he is God. Notice what God is here at the end of this verse. Full of grace and what? Truth. Jesus Christ is not only eternal. Jesus Christ is truth. He was truth 
personified. He was the truth lived out. He was the truth brought to mankind. Now let's pick up and, and go over a few more things in this passage that we didn't cover last week. The third thing that I'd like for you to see is not only is he eternal, not only is he truth, but I'd like for you to see that as a part of deity, he was involved in relationships. Look at John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. Now wait a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, was with the Father God. With. There, there is a relationship going on there. Look in John, the 17th chapter. And as, as you're thinking about John 17, let me just real quickly mention to you. Uh, you remember in Genesis 1 where the creation story is being recorded. And remember when we get to day six, this has probably stood out to you before, but, but this is what we're talking about here. Remember when it says, and God said, let us make man in our own image. Who's he talking to? Let us make man our own image. You realize God was involved in relationships long before the human race was created by God. That the trinity of the Godhead was already in relationship with each other. And so therefore, when we think about us being people made after his image, as I mentioned to you uh, earlier, that, that we are created after his image to share in deep and meaningful relationships, it's because those relationships were first shared by the Trinity of the Godhead and we're a reflection of Him. And so if we want our relationships to be healthy as they ought to be healthy, they ought to be the way they were from our Creator. Well, how were they from the Creator? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that many of us that have read Jesus' prayer in John the 17th chapter, you may say, I have never noticed this in the Bible. Have you ever noticed John 17 and 24 when Jesus is praying? Notice what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. Now look at this next phrase. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Was there a relationship before creation? Absolutely. What kind of relationship was it? It was a relationship of love. God did not first love us in the sense of saying, well, I never loved anyone, anything before, and I created man, and that was my first experience of love. No. That was just a continuation of, of relationship and love where the Trinity had relationship and love for each other and then created mankind and said, you know what? We've got all these animals. Let's make something special though. Like we studied this morning. Let's make something that will be one of our marvelous works. Let's make someone that can share in relationship with us. I hope that strikes a chord with you tonight. God created you to share in relationship with you. He loves you and he wants you to love him. He wants to draw near to you and he wants you to draw near to him. It is a part of the way that he created us. He created us to be relational. Jesus Christ was relational. Before man ever existed, he was relational. 
And he continues to long to be in relationship with us. The fourth thing I'd like for you to see is in John 1 and verse 2 and 3. Notice he was in the beginning with God. We've already talked about him being eternal. He was in, already existing in the beginning. But notice this about the creator, verse 3. All things were made through him. How much? All. All things were made through him and without him, nothing. How much? Nothing was made that was made. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Anything that you see on this earth, Jesus was the creator. Well, now, now how much do we, we know that was created, but it wasn't created by Jesus? Nothing. Why do we need to know that? If we're going to have a gospel about Jesus Christ, why do we not get more than just three verses in before John says, you need to know something. You need to know that the one I'm writing about is your creator. Well, there's probably a lot of reasons why, but remember in Colossians 1 and 18 where he's going to talk about that, that Christ is head of the church? Who here would allow Christ to have the rule in their life? Lord, you take control. I submit to you. Well, before he would teach verse 18 about letting Christ have a head and be the preeminence in our life, he first teaches verse 16 and 17. Let's read together. Look, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. What is he going to teach before he gets to 18? Colossians 1, 16. For, and by the way, verse 15 makes it very clear that we're talking about Jesus Christ here, the firstborn from the dead. And, and it's not that he was the first ever resurrected from the dead. It's first as in the order of priority. He is the most important individual that's ever resurrected from the dead. So we know he's talking about Jesus in verse 15. And so now he comes in Colossians 1 and 16 and he says, for by him... In other words, these things that are made, it was by him. He's the creator. For by him, how much? All things were created. And then, as if you and I need further explanation of what all things would mean. He's saying, I'm talking about these kind of all things. Whether it's in heaven, or if it's on earth, if it's visible, if it's invisible, whether thrones, or dominions, or principalities, or powers. Could, could he say it any more stronger? Everything's created, you see, God made it. Everything created, you don't see, invisible, God still made it. No matter what dominion it's in, no matter what power it's in, no matter where it is, no matter if it's way up in heaven, if it's way on earth, God made it. Which God? Well, it's going to be the Godhead, but the emphasis here is Jesus. Jesus made it. Now, if that wasn't strong enough, notice the very next sentence. Same thing again. All things were created through him. And for him. Now we know our purpose. We're made by Jesus. And we're made for him. We talked this morning. Do you want to be a self-made person? Well, it'd be a pitiful person if you made a person. Just go home and try. Don't use anything God's given you. Just go out on your own. And just make a person. Go out. As the old joke is. The guy said, okay, I'm going to try to make a person like God did. He went out and started getting the dirt and forming a man. And uh, God said, no, you get your own dirt. You go out, don't use anything God's made. Don't use anything God's made and you make your own person. But you can't use anything God's made. You can't do it. You see the point? The point is God made everything. And so you're not a self-made person. 
But what if you could say, I understand who did make me and I marvel in him and I realize that he has uniquely made me and he's made me what? For his purpose. So if I can walk day by day in the will of Jesus, I've been made by him and for him. Let's continue reading verse 17. He is before all things, back to the teaching in John 1 and 1, in the beginning, when time began, Jesus was already there, pointing to the fact that he is eternal. And in him, all things consist. He is sufficient. He is the power that keeps everything going. How do we just keep having four seasons? I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care and be good stewards of the earth that God has given us, but I want to tell you something. Mankind is never going to end the things that God has put into progress. There will always be four seasons. One reason why we know that is because Christ is the one in which we find our sufficiency. And second, when they got off the ark, he told them there would always be four seasons. All right, so now after saying that, where does this lead us? See in verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead and all things he might have the preeminence. Who would allow Jesus to be head of their church? Who would allow Jesus to have the preeminent place in their life where they say, Lord, I will submit to you in everything. Well, I suggest to you that it has to be the person that believes and lives by verse 16 and 17 if they're going to live by verse 18. We must know Christ as the creator, the one that makes us and our purpose is found in him if we're going to really understand why he should reign in our life. Remember, he's the word. He's the truth. And if he is our creator, that word and that truth has power. I was talking to one of our young people just this past week. And this young person was talking about another young person that is in their life, not a member here, but it's in their life. And they were saying, when I study the Bible with them, if I mention anything they don't like, they will look at the verse in the Bible and they'll say, well, I just don't believe that. Listen, there are a lot of religious people. That's the way they read their Bible. If Jesus says something I like, I say, oh, I believe it and I'll follow it. If Jesus says something I don't like, you shrug your shoulders and say, I don't believe that. If Jesus is our creator and we truly understand that, we also then should place him as head of the church. Lord, this is your church, it's not our church. We will follow you any way that you lead. Lord, it's not my life, you are preeminent in my life. My life is all about you. And so wherever you lead, I'll follow. If you say this is right, I'll follow it. If you say this is wrong, I won't do it. Now, I'm not saying any of us are perfect, but that has to be our mindset. Our mindset has to be, Lord, I'm not going to listen to what you say and then say, hmm, the word, the almighty has spoken. And you know what? <laughs> I just don't like that. I'm not going to follow that. How can people do that? I would suggest to you that most of them don't have a comprehension of who Jesus really is. If they really had a comprehension of who Jesus is, they wouldn't look at his word and then shrug their shoulders and say, well, I just don't believe that. But moving on to the last point, 
I'd like for you to see in John 1 and 1 how we're going to close this and how this paragraph closes. He's made the point in verse 1 that he's God, and in verse 2 that he is eternal. He was there from the beginning. Verse 3 that he was creator. Everything was made. And look how this is going to close in verse 4. In him, talking about in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus is life. It's so easy to take things for granted. It's so easy to, to, to take for granted life. But what about when life is gone? What about when it looks like that life might be about to go? What would you give to be able to sustain that life? If we go to someone in America today that's dying, they got one more day to live. We say, I tell you what, we could sustain your life for, for several more decades. What would they pay to live several more decades? Probably everything they had. That's physical life. What about spiritual What is it worth to you to spend an eternity in eternal life instead of eternal death? There's only one source. Jesus is life. And in Him is the light. The enlightenment of how to have that life. The way He would say it in this same gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me or by me. Now think about it. If he's the way, that's enlightenment to us. The truth. That is enlightenment to us. Oh, I'm enlightened now. I know Jesus. I know the way. I know the truth. Therefore, now I can have life. But it always comes down to this. Are you and I willing to be enlightened. We can leave Jesus as just some good human being that walked this earth and did a lot of good while he was here. But if that's the case, we're not enlightened with the truth. He's far more than that. And when we can be enlightened at who he truly is, he's God, he's eternal God. He is eternal truth. He is one that has always been involved in relationships and created you and I to share in relationships. He is our creator. And he is our life and our light. Do you know him? I encourage you to set your heart on knowing him better every step along the way. If there's something that we can do tonight to help you take steps closer to God, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, if you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness, if there is anything that we can do to help you know God, know His truth, know the loving God that created you and wants a close relationship,